Thank you for listening to this Calvary Aurora Bible study with Pastor Ed Taylor. We pray as you study through God's Word that you're blessed by God's abounding grace. Amen. Open your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 12 and Romans chapter 8 because you'll recall when we were in 1 Kings chapter 12, there were a couple verses that we wanted to pause on and expand just a little. Notice in 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 15, the Bible says, So the king did not listen to the people, for the turn of affairs was from the Lord, that he might fulfill his word, which the Lord had spoken by Ahijah the Shilonite to Jeroboam the son of Nebat. Then notice verse 24. Thus says the Lord, You shall not go up nor fight against your brethren, the children of Israel. Let every man return to his house, for this thing is from me. Therefore they obeyed the word of the Lord and turned back according to the word of the Lord. And these scriptures and these truths cause great difficulty for some because it sounds like we have no free will and no opportunity to make a choice that we just need to deal with fate. And yet there is the sovereignty of God and the power of God taught in the scriptures as God reveals himself and his sovereignty. And there's also the ability that God has given to you and me to make a free will decision that we will be wholly responsible for. And these are parallel truths that are taught throughout the scriptures without any attempt by God to reconcile them. One of the great difficulties that we face is when we try to reconcile them. So in the next few studies here on our midweek Bible study, we are going to look at two important doctrines. The doctrine of foreknowledge, God's foreknowledge, and the doctrine of predestination. So take a trip with me down to Romans chapter 8 as we're introduced to this glorious topic in Romans chapter 8, God's foreknowledge. Now in Romans chapter 8 verse 28, we learn a very powerful truth. It says in verse 8, chapter 8 verse 28 in Romans, we know all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Nothing is wasted by God. Nothing in our lives. He's working, and you mark that word in verse 28, you can circle it. It doesn't say most. It doesn't say many. It says all. God is working all things together for the good, for those that love him and those that are called according to his purpose. Well, what is that purpose? What is the calling of God and the ultimate purpose for your life? Verse 29, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, and whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. As a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you and I are being changed day by day into the image of Jesus Christ. He's not making us into our parents, and he's not making us into some pastor we look up to. He's not looking to make us into some role model we have. We are being fashioned and formed from the inside out into the very image of Christ. Paul would declare to the church in Corinth that we are new creations in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. So today a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus Christ, you have a new life with a new hope, with a new direction, with a new power, and with a new purpose. 
That's the work of God ongoing. It wasn't just the moment you were saved, but this is the ongoing work of God in your life until when we're conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That's the work in your life and in mine. So there is that pressure in our world today to be conformed into a different image, to be molded and shaped into the image of this world. While God is molding us into Jesus, the world is attempting to mold us into its own image. God uses everything that comes into our lives, everything that he sends into our lives, and he works them together. Not everything's good, and we've done deep studies in that verse, but for the context of our time today, not everything is good, but God is working all things together for our good and for his ultimate glory, that his name would be glorified. Even though some of the things that we taste in life are bitter and sour and hurtful, for the believer in Jesus Christ today, you can have the confidence that nothing is wasted. Not one small thing is wasted in your life. That God is working it together for good. So what's God's plan and how does it work together? Well, there are really five things that we're going to look at two of them in the next few weeks, but there's really five things that God is doing in our lives that pertain to, number one, his foreknowledge, number two, predestination, number three, his calling. We often speak a lot about our calling, but it's really his calling in our lives. Number four, justification and how he works that work of justification in our lives. And then fifthly, our glorification, and that's the path that we're on. Those other studies are all contained in uh, that series in Romans, so you can pick the rest of them up. But for the sake of our time in Kings, I want to pull back the curtains on God's foreknowledge. God's foreknowledge. The Bible says here in verse 29, for whom he foreknew. This speaks of God's omniscience or his knowledge of everything. If God is God, as he defines himself, that means if God knows anything, he knows everything. If God knows anything, he knows everything. And it's true that God knows everything about everything. Theologically, we would put it this way, in a technical way. God knows all things, both actual and possible, past and present, and future, completely, perfectly, simultaneously, and eternally. Now that's some serious knowledge. He knows it all. From any angle that you come from, God has all knowledge. We don't have foreknowledge. Don't you wish you did, though? But those of you that wish you did, if you knew what was really coming up ahead, it would bum you out today. And so God has been gracious to not give us foreknowledge. God has it. We don't. I mean, if we had foreknowledge and we knew a tough time was coming, don't you think we would go around it? Even though God, he knows ahead of time and he doesn't take us around it, he takes us through it. Why? Because he knows, what's be he knows what's best for us. We don't know the future, but God does. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. The Bible speaks often of God's foreknowledge. Notice Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. It's not simply the ability to know ahead of time. God, he has and contains all the knowledge that there is which is a wonderful thought. Chapter 4, verse 13. The Bible says, There is no creature hidden from his sight, and what does your Bible say? All things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. How much is open to God? 
all things, all things. Turn over to Psalm 147, verse five. Psalm 147, verse five. I know for many of you this is merely a review, but for some of you, this is comforting new knowledge that God is giving to you about his character and his nature. And he doesn't simply want you to learn this knowledge, he wants you to live as if you know that God knows, which will do what? Build your faith. If God knows what's happening ahead of time, then when Jesus tells us not to worry, but to trust God, this is one of the attributes that we trust God in. He knows. It's all in the Lord's hands. He has perfect knowledge of what's up ahead. Not only tomorrow, but the next day and the next day. Notice verse five of Psalm 147. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. Mark this phrase. His understanding is what? Infinite. Can you imagine having infinite understanding? Beyond our ability to comprehend, the Lord lifts up the humble and he casts down the wicked to the ground. God knows everything about everything. His knowledge is absolute and his knowledge is unacquired. God doesn't learn anything. Jot it down in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 3. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. God is a God of knowledge. The knowledge that he himself possesses. He never learns anything and knows everything there is to know about everything. And we often use that word omniscient, all-knowing. Now, when it comes to foreknowledge, I need to warn you at this point of a very popular doctrine that has been floating around recently. You may or may not have heard it, but I want to equip you in case you do. It's known as the doctrine of open theism. Open theism. And this is the teaching, and I believe an unbiblical teaching, that with the idea that God is not omniscient, but rather he is learning things as we learn things. Now, how would you like to serve a God like that? God, I'm praying for what's up ahead, and I'm not sure what's going to happen, Lord. Meet me there. And God's saying, well, I have no idea what's going to happen either. And they use a couple verses. Let me show you one just so I can explain it to you. Turn over to, with me to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. This is a popular verse that the open theist will take you. And this this theology, this human-centered theology has taken root in many, many seminaries today and taught to be biblical. And this is one of the proof texts that they use, Genesis chapter 22. Pick up with me in verse 9. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. And here's the phrase that they key on. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its thorns. And so Abraham went and took the ram, offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And so they say, Here's the phrase, now I know. And they interpret that as the angel of the Lord gaining brand new knowledge that they didn't have before. Now, is God learning something here? Not in the least. 
God knew all along his plan for Isaac, and we see that back in chapter 22 of Genesis, verses 1 through 4. It was a test for Abraham and Isaac to learn from, not God. Let me put it this way. Let me illustrate it this way. Let's go into, uh, as our Calvary Academy is about to graduate, our kindergartners tomorrow. They're graduating from kindergarten. And our graduation from our eighth graders. We've got a graduating class of eighth graders. So let's say we go into the kindergarten class and we have the math teacher teaching our kindergartners some math. And actually it doesn't work with kindergartners. So let's work with, maybe I need to change the math. Okay, so let's just change the math. So we come into the little kindergartner class and they're all so cute and they got their little hats on and they're ready to graduate to first grade. But before you do, you got to finish this math problem. You don't graduate kindergartners unless you finish this math problem. So the teacher comes in and says, okay, little Johnny, let's see if we can figure this out. Let's figure this problem out together. What is one plus one? Hmm, the teacher says. Well, little Johnny's not sure how many fingers he has. And he's looking and he's thinking one plus one and one plus one. And so he finally comes up and says, one plus one is two, teacher. And the teacher says, now we know that the answer to one plus one, Johnny, is two. Now, by the teacher saying that, is the teacher now for the first time in her life learning that one plus one is two? Not at all. She's simply using language to encourage little Johnny of something that he just learned or affirmed that he knew. We use language like that all the time, where we have knowledge ahead of time, but as someone else discovers the same knowledge, we will then come alongside of them, and now we know. Parents do it all the time. Now we know. It's not necessarily a statement of new knowledge for the person that already knows, Open theism, I believe, is to be rejected. It is not a true teaching of the scriptures. God over and over again reveals himself clearly and absolutely as all-knowing. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Acts chapter 1, verse 24. And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen. And as I said before, theologically, the technical phrase that we need to hold on to is God knows all things, both actual and possible, past and present and future, completely, perfectly, simultaneously, and eternally. And let me just say, you don't want to worship a false god who doesn't know everything. You will be in big trouble. Foreknowledge of God is amazing. It's so powerful and comforting. It's a comforting doctrine. Our God who knows all things is then able to fulfill his purpose and work all things together for good in his glory. Only a God of all knowledge could do that, knowing the end result. So it makes sense that God knows who will be saved. God knows that ahead of time, even before we were born. Turn over to Psalm 139, verse 13. It makes sense that God would have the knowledge of salvation in the lives of those who turn to him before we even know it. Notice Psalm 139, verse 13. Psalm 139, verse 13. We don't possess foreknowledge, so we don't know. But God does, 
And so he knows. Notice Psalm 139, verse 13. For you have formed my inward parts. You have covered me in my mother's womb. And I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written the days fashioned for me, when yet as there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. God says in Psalm 139 that he knows how many days we're going to live. He knows ahead of time. Not only how many days we're going to live, but also those that we love. He knows ahead of time. We don't. That's why it's tragic and sudden when we lose a loved one. We don't know the days, but God does. So that when we come back to Romans chapter 8, with this foreknowledge, Paul would teach us today, he would say, not only does God know how many days you're going to live, but notice in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Within his foreknowledge is the work of his predestination. And the question has to be is, how big is your God? Because throughout history, man has fashioned God in his own image. Paul would say that earlier in Romans chapter 1. Man is a... Man is an idol factory, fashioning idols after our own image for our own purposes, seeking satisfaction from someone or something other than the rest of Jesus Christ, the rest that he promises. Isn't that what he promises? He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He goes on to say that rest is for your souls. How does a soul rest? But through salvation. That's the only rest a soul will ever experience is through knowing that your sins have been forgiven and that your life has been made right with God. How faithful he is. In Romans chapter 1, verse 25, it says that there, there are those who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. In Kyoto, Japan... There's an unusual place of worship called the Temple of the Thousand Buddhas. On display inside the shrine are more than a thousand likenesses of Buddha, each just a little different from the others. And it's set up this way so that someone that's following Buddha can come in and find the statue that most looks like himself in order to worship that particular Buddha, the one that looks most like themselves. Very sad indeed. God in his foreknowledge predestines. That's the mechanism of which God acts. You can say that God does everything through his foreknowledge. Why? Because he knows all things at the same time. He's outside of our time-space continuum. You and I experience life on a line, day by day, week by week, beginning to end. God is outside of time and is able to see everything all at the same time. If you and I could totally comprehend God, then why need him? We would be his equal. But the Bible declares and God himself says he has no equal. <laughs> and by his, own cov- by his own fiat and action, he's proven to us he has no equal. None whatsoever. God should be a little incomprehensible. A little beyond the rationale of God. Or excuse me, the rationale of man. A little beyond our understanding. Be weary 
of anyone that comes to you that says they perfectly understand God. That's impossible. That's impossible for us. In Romans chapter 11, verse 33, it says, Oh, both the depths and the riches and the wisdom of the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Now that really helps us and encourages us in tough times. As we all face tough times. We have to ask, do we have a really big problem and a very small God? Or do we have a really big problem and a really big God? Or do we have a really big God and all problems are small compared to him? God is infinitely larger and smarter than us. Can I get an amen on that? We can trust a God who knows all things. It's his attribute. He can handle everything that comes our way. He can remain faithful when we're faithless. He can work in it. He can work through it. He can work it together. He can make sure that nothing's wasted. So why? We hit the end goal. What's the end goal? The end goal is to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That work is not just an outward accumulation of knowledge and growth. It is an inward work inside where our very character and nature has been changed and moved and conformed to the very end. The very end will be new bodies and full knowledge. We will know, the Bible says, even as we are known. We will shed these earthly bodies that were designed to, to contain our soul and spirit on earth. But in the presence of the Lord, we will shed and receive new bodies that are perfectly suited for the presence of the Lord. Where we will stand before God, I believe, and cry out like the angels, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. That's the God that we worship. We don't walk into a room on a side room here at Calvary and say, okay, pick out the statue that most looks like you. I mean, if that was the case, we'd just put in a bunch of mirrors in there. Worship yourself. The one that has limited knowledge. How many times have you found yourself crying out to God because you lack the knowledge of what's up ahead? And because you lack that knowledge, what happens? You turn to him. Let me ask you this. What makes you think you're going to make it to heaven? What makes you think that you're going to make it to heaven? I'll tell you what. God said that what he began in you, he is faithful to complete it. How does he know that? How does he, how, how can he say that? How can he say that? Because he knows. He knows ahead of time. The closest picture that has been shared with us, I can think of a couple of different ones. They're very imperfect illustrations because they don't reflect the knowledge of God, but you can get a little bit of that understanding. For example, let's say that uh, instead of watching the uh, Denver Broncos game, on Sunday morning, you came to worship the Lord. Let's just say you chose to do that. And you came to church, and you worshiped God, but you watched the game, and you, you taped it. You didn't watch it. You, you DVR'd it. You taped it. You don't tape anymore. You DVR'd it, uh, and then went home and watched it. But your next-door neighbor decided it was their day to stay home and watch the game, and they came over to watch it with you on your DVR. But every once in a while, in the middle of the game, like at first quarter, your friend flips out and goes crazy, but nothing happened on television yet. It's going to happen. But he's very excited about it, because why? 
He already watched the game. You haven't seen the game yet. But he knows you're all nervous and you're sweating and you're not sure what's going to happen. And he's just sitting there all calm and collecting. You go, what's going on? I know what's going to happen. Well, well, tell me what's going to happen. No, don't tell me. Don't tell me. Yeah, tell me what's going to happen. No, don't tell me what's going to happen. And, and he has that knowledge of the game already because he watched it. And he's watching it with you that doesn't know. And he can get a little excited about things before you do. He can, he can even, you know, if he wants to give it away to you, he can just say at, on the, at the fourth quarter with two minutes left, and you know it's going to take about an hour for those two minutes to be played out. And if he really wants to mess with you, he can just say, he can just take his chips and dip, start walking out the door and saying, don't worry about it, they won, and then leave. <laughs> and the most exciting part of the game is like, oh, man, why? Because he had a, a, a similar foreknowledge I mean, it's so, I know it's a broken down illustration because it's using humans, but the reality is, is that your friend had foreknowledge and was able to know ahead of you what was going on, and he could even tell you what was going on if he wanted to. He knew how it would end. Another illustration that's been shared with us is, I love, I love parades, uh, and my favorite parade in the whole wide world is the Rose Parade. And, and I enjoy the Rose Parade uh, and one day I hope I can go there and be in the freezing cold uh, in the morning, sleep overnight, wake up and watch the parade go by me. I want that right on, right on the curb so I can smell the roses as they go by and I can hear the bands. And that's how I'd watch the parade. I'd watch the parade one float at a time, one float at a time. And I'd have to wait for them to make that big turn and might be able to see if it's something big over there, but I won't be able to see it until it goes right in front of me and it's going to keep going right in front of me all the way down until it's done. But if I had the privilege of being, having a drone uh, flying over the parade and I got it high enough, I would be able to see the parade from beginning to end. I could see the whole thing. I could also see the place I was sitting that will only see one float at a time, but if I was a little bit higher, you know, they always, they have the blimp there too that gives the cover aerial coverage, and if you're high enough in the blimp, the blimp will have the camera on the entire, you can see the parade from beginning to end. Once again, it's a very limited illustration, but it's one nonetheless where God is able to see far above from beginning to end your life and mine. He knows he knows where you started. He knows where you're going. And by faith in Jesus Christ, he knows exactly what he's going to do in your life, which makes no sense for us to choose to fashion and make our own God in our own image. Where is our help then? Isaiah, in Isaiah 46 verse 5 says as much. Would you turn there with me? Isaiah 46 verse 5. Why would we fashion a God who does not have foreknowledge and has no power and yet we do from time to time. Notice Isaiah chapter 46, verse 5. God says this through the prophet. To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we should be alike? They lavish gold out of the bag and weigh silver in the balance. They hire a goldsmith and he makes it a god, little g. They prostrate themselves. Yes, they worship. They bear it on their shoulder and they carry it and set it in its place and it stands. And from its place it shall not move. Though one cries out to it, yet it cannot answer nor save him out of his trouble. Why would you want a God that cannot save you out of your trouble? And yet we have lived so much of our lives apart from Christ doing that very thing. If you want to make a God of your size, he won't be able to help you, the Bible says. 
But if you make the God of the universe, the creator and sustainer of all things, that's still a bit incomprehensible to you, still a little bit unexplainable to you, he still has a little mystery to him that makes him holy and high, then the worship and strength that flows from our lives, we can depend upon a God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, and can help us in our time of need. And he's faithful. With our God in his foreknowledge, nothing perplexes him. Nothing confuses him. I've been talking to a few people lately and what they've displayed, what they've, incur- what they've shared with me is that they're in a situation that's a little confusing. It's a little confusing. Well, imagine crying out to a God that's also confused about your confused situation. Where will the clarity come? God's not confused about your situation right now. The Bible declares very affirmatively that God is not the author of confusion. He's the solution to confusion. He's the one that brings order to chaos. He's the one that brings clarity to things that are foggy. Why? Well, part of it is because he has foreknowledge. He has all knowledge. He's not surprised by anything. He's not taken off guard. So that when someone, something comes to rock our world, and things do, when things come to knock us off balance, God remains unmoved. In Jude, it only has one chapter, verse 24, it says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. God is able to keep you from stumbling. He's able, it says, to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, it says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly all that we think or ask, according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus for all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So many things are happening in our lives today. So much swirling around in our world. There are ups and downs, the strengths, the weaknesses. Even though we don't know all that's going on, God does. Even though, as it's been said, uh, we don't know the future, but we know who holds the future. We know who understands the future. I don't have all the answers, but God does. And the more I can understand and believe that attribute of God, then I'll find my trust growing in him, knowing all along that God is going to work it out, and I can enjoy the rest that Jesus promises me. Even the rest that's promised in Psalm 37 in the Old Testament. In Psalm 37, 7, it says, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Let's wind down here with a couple verses in Matthew chapter 26. Did you go there with me? Jesus has some heavy words for Peter looking into the future of his life. Heavy words. Matthew chapter 26. Notice with me in verse 31. Jesus says, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written... I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. So Jesus takes a prophecy out of Zechariah and he explains exactly how it's going to happen. Why? Because as God, Jesus has foreknowledge. So he takes something from the past. This is what the Bible predicts. This is is the prediction in Zephaniah. I'm going to tell you exactly how it's going to go down. You guys are all going to be made to stumble. All of you in front of you. You're all going to be made to stumble. But then he says in verse 32, after I've been raised, I'll go before you to Galilee. And Peter answered and said, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I'll never be made to stumble. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. 
and so said all the disciples. The problem with Peter here, among all the other things about him, pride and arrogance and self-sufficiency and all that, you want to know what his real problem is? He doesn't have foreknowledge. Because if he had foreknowledge, he'd say, yep, that's exactly what's going to happen, Lord. It's going to be hard, but then I'm going to come back and it's going to be glorious. And I mean, he could have shared the whole thing, but he doesn't know. So he defends himself. Instead of responding in faith to the God who knows, he denies the foreknowledge of Jesus here and he defends himself. Don't think for a moment that you haven't done that in your own lives. That you haven't come to God and defended yourself and say, oh no, you got it wrong, God. You got it wrong. You don't really know me. Really? He doesn't know you? Is he learning about you still? Trying to figure you out? He doesn't know you? He knew Peter. He knew all about Peter inside and out. And yet Jesus later, and you can jot it down in Luke chapter 22, Jesus tells Peter, I I know it's going to happen and you're going to come back. And when you return, strengthen your brethren. Now, Peter, when you come back, be an encouragement. Love your brothers. You're going to fall, but you're going to get up. You're going to fall, but I'm going to use it in your life. You're going to think all is lost, but not all is lost. Because when you come back, when you come back, now, to be told by Jesus you're going to fall, I think would be discouraging. And I'm pretty sure, knowing me, I would defend myself. I mean, it's hard to fathom. I, I want to say, oh, no, Lord, you're so right, and I'm so wrong. But knowing me, I think I'd say, no, I love you. I've dedicated my life to you. There's no way I'm going to deny it. I just, I can't even imagine that. And I would be acting in a faithless way toward the God of all knowledge who's telling me straight up what's going to happen in my life. Now, fast forward a little bit. If Jesus now was telling me, if I had ears to hear, if Jesus was telling me, when you return... That would encourage me. Return? You just said I'm going to fall tonight. It's going to happen tonight. That that I'm going to be fulfillment of prophecy and turn my back on you and deny you. I've just been three years old. I've cast my whole life. I've left everything behind. I've left everyone behind. And I have totally followed you. I'll defend you. I'll cut ears off for you. Jesus, I'm with you. And then I hear, when you return, when I return, I'm going to return? I'm going to fall and I'm going to, I'm going to return? How encouraging that must be. But even hearing the words, when you return, you have to trust that God knows what he's saying. He knows, all, he knows you're coming back. He knows ahead of time. And when you come back, and this is a word for some of you, this is someone listening in on the radio right now that is far away from the Lord. When you come back, and tonight, be the night to come back, strengthen your brethren. Learn from your mistakes. Though a man falls seven times, he'll rise again with new knowledge, knowledge of himself and knowledge of the love and the grace and the forgiveness and the mercy of God. And when you come back, come back stronger. When you come back, come back harder on the things of God. When you come back, come back more humble, more contrite, more dependent upon the things of the Lord. When you come back, what happened with Peter? He fell, he came back, he strengthened his brethren. Who said that before it happened? Jesus. Why? Because it's God. He possesses foreknowledge. One more verse. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll get into this a little bit in our next time on the topic of predestination, but let me give you a sneak peek in 1 Peter chapter 1. God is able to work all things together for our good because he has all knowledge, foreknowledge of everything. 
And in his foreknowledge, he predestines things to occur, which we'll tackle the next time we gather together. But notice in 1 Peter chapter 1, it says, verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. These were believers that were scattered. That's what dispersion means. These are believers that were scattered throughout these regions. Notice how they're described. Verse 2, elect, and here's how they're elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit, obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. It is God's sovereign privilege to choose. And he did. How? Peter says according to his foreknowledge. It's his will, God's, to save based on who he knows will accept him. And it's God's choice of us based upon his knowledge that we will choose him. Now we're always going to see these things hand in hand. God's choice, our choice. God's action, our action. And God's choice goes with your believing in him. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4, we are known as the elected by God. And yet in verse 5, excuse me, in verse 6, we have your election by God, Thessalonians. But then in verse 6, it says, having received the word. You always see these two together. John chapter 3, verse 16. It's one of the most beautiful places we see this. It's God's love of the world that he gave his only begotten son so that when you believe in him, you have everlasting life. Always together. God's action, your action. God's choice, your choice. And so the door is truly open today to whosoever will in the world believe on the Lord Jesus Christ would receive everlasting life. And then in John 3.36, it says, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. You see, the door is open for you, whether you believe or not. The door is open. That's the choice. The door is wide open. If you believe, you're saved. If you don't believe, you're lost. Have you ever wondered? I mean, have you ever thought, am I chosen or not? Am I really elect of God? Did God choose me? I don't really know. I'm not sure. Will you choose God today? Will you respond to the invitation? Because if you choose God today, then you can answer the question. Did God really choose me? Yes. Because you responded. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God. So go home with that on your mind tonight. The awesomeness of who God is. You can see how, how important it is to worship God and not argue about his attributes. Accept them. Accept what God says. Receive the reality of God's love for you and respond. God so loved the world. That's active, happening right now. He moved him in time and space some 2,000 years ago, to send his own son, Jesus Christ, to be unjust, unjustly crucified and slowly tortured for your life and mine, that through the shedding of his blood, your sins can be forgiven. And the invitation goes out to whosoever will respond. And you go, I don't know if I'm chosen. Well, I'm telling you what, God's telling you that he loves you right now, and you respond to that invitation, you could say for absolute certainty, I've been chosen by God. Why? Because According to his foreknowledge, he drew me to himself. So humble yourself before God today. 
Worship him in his foreknowledge. Admit to him. Maybe even our closing prayer, you have to admit to him today, verbally. God, you know everything, and I know very little. Reveal to me what I need to know in order to serve you and love you more. Show me. You know, we even pray that prayer, don't we? We ask the Lord to search us and know us and reveal to us any unclean thing and then show us the way of everlasting. He'll answer that prayer for you today. So Father, thank you for the... Um, wow. I, even as I think of these doctrines, Lord, it, I, don't, I, I don't fully grasp the reality of them and, and I always feel a little bit um, intimidated, Lord, by your, by your awesomeness and your grandeur. That when my world is turned upside down, God, yours, yours is not. When I'm confused, you're clear. When I'm uncertain, you know. When I'm not sure whether to go to the left or the right, you will show me the way. You told me that as man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. How? In your foreknowledge. You speak of election and being chosen. And you speak of it in such lofty terms, according to your foreknowledge. Father, let us grasp, let us grasp that beautiful truth today of what you know and fill us with hearts of worship. We're not asking for hearts of understanding. We're asking for hearts of worship. That we would bow before you in adoration. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We don't asking for the puffing up of knowledge, Lord. We're asking for the humility of love. That's, that's our desire, Lord, that you would just pour out an anointing of love upon us today, both here in the room and downstairs, those that are listening in, those that are connected. Lord, let us leave here with adoration on our hearts and our minds. Let us leave here hope-filled. Let us leave here expectant and excited that although we don't know the future, we trust the one who holds the future in his very hands. We trust the one that knows what he's going to do with my life. You know how you're going to work it out. You know what I'm going to do. You know where I'm going to go. You know how you're going to comfort and how you're going to encourage. You know even the smaller things like how I'm going to eat and what clothes I'm going to wear and where I'm going to get the money to pay those bills. You know. You know about my kids that are backslidden. You know where they are. You know what they're into. And you know when they're coming home. I pray for my brother whose son was just arrested for more drug offenses. And he's been battling you the whole time. In my brother's life, back east, Lord, in my brother's life, I pray that you would give him a revelation of your foreknowledge, that you love his son and you know what's going on in his son and you know that the prodigal will come home, that you would just infuse that in his heart, God, just right now, even if he's putting his head to bed now, that you would rake him up with a dream or a vision of your foreknowledge, that what you've started in his boy's life, you're going to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And I just pray that would work in our hearts, Lord. We would leave here expectant and, and we would leave here humbled and some would leave here saved. That today they would respond to the invitation of love and they would receive you. They would accept you. They would respond to the conviction of their own sin. If you're here today, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. I've introduced you to the God of all knowledge. And he knows you inside and out. The Bible says everything is naked and open before him. And you know how vulnerable you feel when you're naked when you're unclothed. It's a very vulnerable position. And yet God sees you in your vulnerability. He knows all about you and he loves you still. Even things nobody knows, he knows. 
Even things that you think are hidden are in the dark. They're in the light for him. And yet, he extends to you the offer and the opportunity for, for you to have your sins forgiven, for you now to cover your nakedness with the robes of righteousness. I know there's like Bible phrases, but just put it this way. Like, just think about like, like, you know, the king of England finding you on the streets of London naked and, and homeless and lost as lost can be. And he invites you to come home with him and you say yes. And immediately all of his servants come and wrap you with the finest clothes, clean you up, and begin to help you get back on your feet all the way to the end. God is far greater than the king of England, friends. And he wants to wrap you with the robes of his love and his righteousness. If that's you today, would you just, would you say, you know, if you're saying, Ed, I think I need to give my life to Jesus Christ. That's what I want. I want to respond to that. If that's you, would you just stand to your feet? I want to pray with you before we head out. I want to pray for you. I want to pray, pray with you that you don't leave here in this evening, in this appointment of God, that you're introduced to his love and you don't leave here the same that way you came in. You guys on the radio as well, we don't see you, of course. You just pull your car over if you like, or on the internet. But for you here, I really do believe God's brought someone here. I, I, don't, I, don't, think, um, I, I don't think, I don't think he wants you to leave here um, in the same condition or worse than when you came in. And so respond. Submit yourself to God who loves you. You know, in our human relationships, God bless you. God bless you. It's God's appointment in your life. In human relationships, it seems like the more people get to know you, the more they don't like you, the more they don't respect you. It seems as if so many people put masks on because you're just trying to protect yourself because it can be so hurtful. You know, somebody sees you fail or stumble and then they hurt you with it and they make fun of you or they take advantage of you. God is not like that. He doesn't use your weaknesses against you. He uses your weaknesses for you. Because he loves you. True love. Love you've never experienced before. Until God revealed himself to you. And so you guys over here, you guys right here, can you guys like stand up in this section, lay hands on this gal right here? Um, Everybody loves you, so don't be weirded out. Everybody loves you. They're all good people. And I want you to introduce you. This is the body and the family of God. This is the body of Christ. And the people next to you love you and they're praying for you. And so I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. If I missed anybody, you guys, yeah, I see some brothers. You wanna lift your hands on this side of the room because tonight it was an appointment for one person. One person, that's it, one. So God loves one. So, so pray with me, all right? And maybe out on the radio, we don't know, but at a later time, but for you right now, our new sister, you can just say this, God I admit that I've sinned against you and I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. I believe you sent Jesus Christ to live for me, to die for me, and I believe Jesus Christ rose again from the dead to forgive me of my sins. And I dedicate my life to following him today. Help me, God, to turn away from my sinful past And protect me from all the attacks of the enemy as I set my life toward following you. 
And so, Father, even as the embrace right now, even as some of the, some of the warmth of the hands on the shoulder being felt right now, let that warmth be a reminder of the warm love of your spirit, that this sister is not alone, that she immediately is adopted into a family that loves her and cares for her and will be there to walk alongside of her in this journey toward heaven. So we rejoice, Lord, tonight in the work of your spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. We pray that you've been touched by this study from Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call area code 303-628-7200. Be blessed this week in the Lord.